Hey there, fellow marketers. Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast, presented by themarketinghelp.co, and that is your number one resource for proactively advancing your marketing career. Quick thank you to our premium sponsor, that's LinkedIn Learning. And listen, if you're ready to upskill um, and looking for some of the, the marketing skills, videos, courses that are going to help you advance your career, just head on over to themarketinghelp.co forward slash LinkedIn Learning, themarketinghelp.co forward slash LinkedIn Learning. We've curated all the skills, videos, courses, etc. that matter. So go check that out. All right, today's episode, great guest for you today. A little bit longer than normal episode, but that's because there's a ton of good content that we've covered. And our guest today is Aaron Levy, and he's the group director at one of the leading agencies called Tenuity. And he's going to tell you about how he got there. But it's great to get his take on the perspective uh, and perspective on the world of paid search, biddable media, the things that he likes to call the googly stuff. And you'll hear more about that. But Aaron's going to talk about his career path and why working for an agency is his preferred path. And that may be similar to a lot of you out there uh, or those looking to get into the agency field. So good tips that he drops there. And you're also going to hear about the skills that are going to be taxed in a day-to-day of a paid media specialist. You don't want to miss that. So like I said, a lot of great tips in this episode. Um, Aaron brings it, and it's a great conversation. And make sure to check out those show notes for links to the resources uh, we talk about in the episode today. So buckle up. Here's my conversation with Aaron Levy. And welcome to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast, joined today by Aaron Levy. Levy, Levy, what is it, Aaron? We've known each other for 15 years. You don't know that yet? Uh, You drove the Chevy to the me. Nice. Aaron Levy, welcome to the episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So as we talked about, listen, today we want to open the eyes for those that have an interest in learning more about what it takes to be part of the, as you put it, the googly stuff, the paid search, <laughs> the uh, the biddable media landscape. So we're going to dive into a lot of things today, but what, where I want to start is having you go through your career path, right? So we talk a lot about career path in these episodes. We want to hear what led you to get into uh, digital marketing. What was your entry point? And then talk us through how you navigated the uh, positions that you were in, but also uh, advancing because now you, you you're in a, a pretty pretty nice executive level position. So take us through the journey from from as far back as you want to go. I always describe my career as that old commercial of the little kid who's like, my dream is to work my way up to middle management. Hmm. Um, I empathize with it now, but no. I, so I, I joked before that we've known each other for very long. So Eric will make an appearance in in this career arc of mine. <laughs> Uh, I think I'm unique in in the space, or at least in the space of people of my uh, my tenure, that I'm the only one that I know of that has a tailor-made degree set built for digital marketing. Uh, I went to Villanova. I was always a numbers numbers guy, math guy. So I jumped around between finance, econ, eventually realizing that I didn't really like those. And, and I liked being creative with a math edge. Mm-hmm. So I wound up getting a degree in information systems computers and marketing. Here we are. Mm. Um, but so I kind of fell into it as many did where I got a co-op at DuPont. Um, co-op for those who don't know is effectively like I worked full time and took one class, but was still a student. So I worked there for six months. Uh, half of my internship was web analytics and the other half was paid search. Um, 
the analytics part was great, but I didn't really like checking other people's work and saying what happened with it. Uh, and the other, the other joy is that I was working at, again, I was a 20 year old working at a fortune 500 company where the CMO and VPs were listening to me because no one else knew. I was mm-hmm. like, this is fun. I like this. Um, I had a luxury, of course, where I got hands-on experience in an internship and co-op in a new space. So then when I interviewed with, with Mr. Harvison here, um, I, I was, I was lucky enough to have a leg up over some of my peers who didn't get that experience in college. Um, you know, we worked together uh, at GSI back in the day for a couple of years. Um, I've always been a bit of a know-it-all, which I will get to a little bit later. So I thought I could do better and bigger things and do my own thing. So I moved on to a smaller agency um, called Sierra Interactive, which is not so small anymore. We had a good run together for about five years. I got to build a lot of things. I got to test a lot of things. I got to break a lot of things. Um, and wound up starting my own consultancy for a little bit, which I think we'll talk a little bit later. Is I, I relatively quickly learned that solopreneurship or entrepreneurship wasn't necessarily for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I joined what at the time was Elite SEM uh, and has evolved over the years. Uh, you know, it was an agency that was exclusively focused on paid search and Googly things. And as we've grown as a company, you pretty quickly learn that putting all of your eggs in one basket is not the best business strategy. So in turn, as, as we've grown, when I joined Elite, we we're about 70 people. And through a couple of series of acquisitions and a lot of organic growth, we're now about 700 strong. Um, and the search team's about 120. Uh, and then we have a, a team that we call a growth team. That's another 60 or so. So it's been a big transition in my career going from young practitioner, really excited to, to share things, to true practitioner working, working with you earlier in our career, and then into helping building and growing companies that now my role is much more figuring out where search fits rather than how to do search at its absolute best, which of course right. is still important. <laughs> nice. So what I'm hearing here is it was, uh, you worked at DuPont Co-op, so it's in-house marketing team, then it's agency, and it's been agency for your entire career. So I guess the, the question I have for you is, what kept you motivated to stay in the agency environment for this many years? I mean, my I, I've been in, I was in it for 20 years, and then I said, I'm out, I'm done working for, well, there's a lot of reasons why I left, but that's that's a whole other episode. But um, what what kept you in? What what kept you interested in in going agency to agency as opposed to just taking your shot and going client side? You know, I tease this about myself a little bit. I'm a know it all uh, and b curious. Uh, I'm the type who quite literally took the TV apart and tried to figure out what the stuff was. Nice. And I I found in my very short time in house uh, that. Well, there are opportunities for that. It's it's very they're very straightforward. You have you work on one product, a couple of products, and you have one goal and you have one framework to work in. So while there's opportunity for creativity and longevity, I really love getting exposure to dozens to hundreds of different businesses. Uh, and what's nice is is over time when you've been doing the same career for as long as I have, and I suspect that you found this much yourself you get a really good toolbox uh, and you start to learn when the right tool, when it's right to pull the right tool. So I'll have, you know, we face different problems every day, but every problem that we encounter looks something like a problem that we've encountered before. And I'm like, I think I have a tool that fits that. Right. 
So there's some of them that I can fix myself and there's some that I know internally resources that we may have or our partnerships with Google or tools or things like that. Um, you get a lot more resourceful. So problems get a lot less scary and a lot more exciting. And that's interesting because, I mean, you're speaking to being self-aware to know if I was client side, I'd probably get bored is kind of how you're putting it. And, you know, also, you're like you said, you like to break things down and you're curious and see how they work. And I think that's why, well, I think it's why you got hired when I interviewed you. I didn't pick you, but someone interviewed you. <laughs> yeah, I'm still salty about that. <laughs> <laughs> because you're, you're, you took a deep dive hands-on, you jumped in to learn analytics and that was your leg up when interviewing for that first, you know, big agency role. Um, So it sounds like, you know, for those listening in the audience, you know, if you're trying to position yourself well for that first agency job, get your hands dirty, internship, co-op, friends website, whatever it is, because I can remember you talking about Google Analytics and your, just the comfort level you had with it, even if it was just exposure to a couple of reports, well, when you're about to interview for a position where you're going to be hands-on with a ton of e-commerce numbers and everything else, that was a benefit. And I think that was a, a thing that, that that helped you stand out in that in that position. Now, I can only imagine going to Sear, going from Sear to Elite, you were bringing along things that you had learned at those various stops. Um, so I guess the question here is what what was the what were the things that you were learning? from agency position to agency position that that helped you navigate and advance into those uh, future positions? Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words about 22-year-old Aaron. I think he was a snot, and I don't know why I respect you for not picking him. I still think it was a bad choice. <clears throat> but I think I think if I did dumb it down to a very simple uh, explanation, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper, but it's understanding what's a priority and what's important versus something that doesn't necessarily matter. So... For example, we're recording this on February 4th, uh, four o'clock, two hours ago, Google changed match types. Mm. Uh, they got rid of a match type that we've used for 10 years, uh, or at least they announced that they're getting rid of it. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, broad match modifier, which you have learned and loved, dead now, bye. So what has helped me over my career and what's helping me today and what's continuing to help me is being able to understand something that I should be up in arms about, that I should fight, that we should blow up our campaigns, our entire strategy and rebuild or something like this, which while it's a big deal, I view it as a positive change. And I think that the net impact on our clients and our teamwork is going to be positive. So while it's a shock because it's a big change to something that we've done for months, being able to understand and having that that curiosity that you describe and understanding how the sausage is made, I understand that these ingredients are important, but the change is not going to break it. Mm-hmm. And, and if anything, it's going to help. Right. So to to your point before about uh, my my curiosity giving me a leg up is I often get frustrated and and. I gave a presentation on this in, uh, earlier in the, the pandemic for London, which was the worst mistake I made in the pandemic. Uh, I got time conversions backwards. But there's there's uh, uh, an old book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is a slog, but good. Um, but they talk about the romantic view versus a more utilitarian view of tools. And that book, the case is the tools motorcycle. But in our case, the the romantic view is you view a tool that can do everything for you. So, like, you have this beautiful BMW motorcycle, it either works or it doesn't work. 
where the more uh, literal and more practical view is understanding every single element in it and what that element is designed to do. So what you're referring to to my past history is I was, I was curious. So I'd unpack all the reports and like, what, what's the point of this? Do I care? Does it do anything? If it does anything, what can I do with it? And that understanding and not just understanding that these tools exist, but understanding why they exist and where you deploy them is where you really, really set yourself apart. I like that because I can remember two things. Because remember when you went to Sear, you were, I was your client. And yep. for a short time, but even when at uh, working together at GSI, I remember in conversations, whether it's monthly meetings, whatever, you were asking good questions and you, and you weren't taking what was given to you as kind of the gospel, go do it. And it wasn't defined. It was more curiosity, right? So anybody listening, you're in that agency, you're around the table or virtually for that conversation. Asking the question is probably the best thing you can do if you don't understand it or if you think there's a better way to do it. Because uh, I, I remember, uh, you know, about when you were at Sear, you know, when I was your client, you were asking me questions about how come you don't do it this way? How come you don't do it this way? Why don't you have this? The whole sitemap conversation, which is a whole other podcast. But, <laughs> um, you know, again, pushing because you were curious as to how these things could be uh, better fine-tuned and put together. So I think that's a great observation that, you know, no matter who you are, the intern or the VP, you know, certainly should help navigating the position that you're in. Um, not necessarily about getting advancement, but just more about being a better steward of the marketing position. Oh, well, and I mean, it's uh, frankly being a better steward of any any position and yeah. frankly in life as well. But um, I'm certainly not saying that we have to, to nuke the status quo every day, but it doesn't hurt to be a little kid sometimes. And <clears throat> I don't have kids myself and your kids are, are certainly grown a bit now but you remember when they were three and just learning how to talk and like oh the sky's blue why yeah yeah because it is and and being a little kid in some of those things certainly while respecting people's time and being cognizant when they don't want to be little kidded but asking those questions not not accepting the status quo for what it is but understanding why it is and what you can do with it yep nice so you know given your career path has been, you know, focused and successful in the agency, you know, agency to agency to agency. Who shouldn't work for an agency? If someone's out there thinking about they work in healthcare, now they want to get to an agency, they're working, they're an intern, they want to get into the, who should, who should full stop and, and you should tell them, listen, if this is you, don't bother. I'll speak primarily from my own experience. Uh, the, The workplaces that I've been in, you're going to laugh at this, but I think GSI was the most structured uh, true action. Um, generally speaking, there is a lot of fog when you're working in an agency or any consulting business. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether your team tracks hours or whether you are billed based on the clients that you work on and things like that, there's always going to be a lot of ambiguity and you're going to have to make a lot of judgment calls. Um, it's not going to be a role. Eh, sometimes it might be, but 95% of the time, you're not going to have a binary scorecard. There is no day when it's five o'clock, all the search work is done. I finished it. That doesn't happen and it never will. And that likely won't be the case for anything. So, And those that do think that way won't last very long. Nope. Uh, <laughs> or will, or will, what winds up happening and, uh, a lot of people will use perfectionist as as 
an asset for themselves, I, it scares the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, there's the old adage, I forget who said it, uh, but it was good. Um, don't let perfect get in the way of done. And in this space where you're probably going to have, if you did truly every work piece of work and truly every single best practice, you would be torched and you would have 50 hours of work a day. Right. So those who are good at self-managing, recognizing when they're, uh, my friend Perna at, uh, at LinkedIn likes to have a metric called ROTS, uh, which is return on time spent. Yep. It diminishes. So if you're working for eight, nine hours a day on a project and you keep on going, the 10th and 11th hour aren't going to be very good. Mm-hmm. So those who, um, those who favor an extremely structured environment, people who give you a very step-by-step instruction mm-hmm. will probably have a hard time in most agencies. Um, and the, the, the other, this is not necessarily a, a don't work in the agency, but a skill that is highly undervalued is interpersonal communication, yep. both with your teams and your clients. Uh, one of the challenges that, that I encounter a lot with younger employees is the work doesn't speak for itself. Uh, which is a misconception. Like, oh, like we hit their goals, so the client's happy. No, the client thinks the goals were going to happen and you were just there. So having that sort of a communication of sharing your work, sharing how much that you did, and also being a good read on what people want to see and hear. And so framing the work that you've done in a way that people understand it and can present it and share it is a crucial skill. So. I like that. I like how you said, you know, you paint that picture of the fog here, the, the operating in fog, because yes, uh, and we've seen it so many times where someone takes the job for the wrong reason. And next thing you know, they love the client list, but they hate the client or they hate the work the client is making you do um, or that there's no direction. I mean, it, it's laughable sometimes when we think back to those situations, but uh, best way to describe it is that fog. Um and that and that that does excite some people, and I think that's that that's who should be gravitating to those roles. Not to say again, there's the pro side of agency world, which you you point out earlier, but you know you hate to see people make the wrong decision because they didn't have their priorities aligned in terms of what would be the best fit for them. So it's um it's I mean uh, you know speaking back to the old adage, the Mad Men days, the that that agencies are sexy. You have beer in the office, that's so fun that's still a thing, but that's a perk. And that's frankly at every company in the world now, like everyone has in office happy hours at some point, like everyone gets cake for their birthday, but the, the cultural portion and the part that really makes agencies fun for me is it's a lot of camaraderie of people heading towards different goals, but, and with different, or excuse me, the same goal, but with different skill sets. And that's the part that's really fun. Just like marketing, it's figuring out like what everyone's role is on this team and how you can point stuff the right way. Right. So two more quick things here for this section. Uh, you, you talked about going on your own as a consultant for a little bit. Cast Iron Digital, I think, is the name of the agency. For anybody out there who's thinking about, you know, me and some buddies, we're going to get together and run something, or I feel that I can do this better than my agency. I want to do a side hustle. What happened with Cast Iron? What went wrong? <laughs> well, I've uh, first things first, like it was, Sierra and I had a funky breakup. So there was that period where I was trying to figure out what my, what my life would be. And I quite literally was staring at a pan of bacon that I had just made. Nice. I was like, 
I could start an, an agency. Like I could do this myself. I had a couple of freelance clients. I had been freelancing over the years and freelance clients tend to pay pretty well. Mm-hmm. Started to start, did the LLC, still have it. Um, can expense some of my office against it, which is nice. Uh, but um, what I pretty quickly found is that uh, solopreneurship for me is it's not being your own boss. Uh, there's this procession of like, I'm going to own my own life. I'm going to run everything. I'm going to do it exactly the way that I want. You are, but you're still at the behest of making money. And in this case, you're making money on behalf of other people. So other people are still your boss. Right. Uh, and when you're, when you're a solopreneur, you start to take for granted a lot of the life, or at least I personally did, take for granted a lot of things, the, the life parts that are taken care of working for a larger or an organized company. 401k match went away. Uh, yeah, right. You forget how expensive it is to have office space and how to buy things and how to get internet. You forget how unfun taxes, sales, accounting. <laughs> and I think something that is starting to get a little bit more light shown on it, but um, it's been a problem for years and years and years is people who don't pay. Uh, sure. Chasing money. Yeah. Chasing money, which when I was a, when I was a solopreneur versus when I worked at a small agency or a large agency, I found a lot, um, I had a much harder time justifying my pricing and people being like, well, you're just yourself. Like, why do you have to charge that amount? I'm like, because that's what it's worth. Right. So a lot of times I found myself in scenarios where people would either have unrealistic requests or try to get me to do everything or, underpay or undercharge or ignore expectations that were set out. And I didn't have any recourse. So what I found and where, I mean, I kept it going. I kept my clients for a while, even into my, my career at Elite. But throughout the time period, I was still kicking the tires on a lot of different different agencies. And what I found was a place that let me have that entrepreneurial spirit, let me operate like a business owner without doing the stuff that was terrible. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, a lot of that stuff was taken care of. Of course, there's pros and cons. And and well, I certainly had a vision of building it into something and I, I pulled the plug before that happened. But you learned it's a ton. Da- I learned a ton. I learned a lot about myself. I right. learned about the role that I wanted work to play in my life, which is an important thing to think of. Uh, again, you'll you'll see the... Um, and I will give a, a shout out to my friend Aleda who runs a, a literally a forum called remoters and it's about living a remote lifestyle working from wherever working on your own terms mm-hmm. which is doable it is not the life that i found that i wanted uh, i didn't want to work to live or excuse me i didn't want to live to work uh, i wanted to work to live and when you're when i was solo anyway um, or when i was a ceo you don't get to the fun portion for a long time right and i was at a point in my career i was about 10 years in uh, and I had already done the not fun part once. And I was like, why would I do that again? That was, that's not fun. Let's not do that. Um, but I'm not everyone. Right. And what it was also a part of, again, you knowing you and you tried it, you thought you could operate it, but then when you realize that it's, it's, it's running your own shop as your own person is extremely challenging to be four people at once, uh, which is why it's best to have a partner, uh, or two. But finding the right partner too, that's even more challenging. So um, so good things learned there for the entrepreneurship, doing your own agency. Um, where is the next step on your career path? Where do you think you'll be 
I won't say five years or three years, like you'll know when you know, but like in your mind, is it riding the wave in the agency world or is it eventually being the, the go back to cast iron now a little bit different when you're you know, maybe a couple more years of experience? What are, you, what are you thinking? I think I could see myself and I don't have a time frame for this. I have no intention of leaving uh, Tenuity, which I realized we didn't actually say the name, uh, leaving Tenuity anytime soon, nor do I see myself working for a different agency. I've been blessed to effectively be myself who I have am proudly professed as a brat. Um, and I haven't had to change myself at all. So I don't know why I would leave here for something that is probably the same at best, if not way worse. Um, but what I would, would see for my next step in my career is probably breaking out of the digital marketing space and, and working more as a, a business type consultant. Um, you wouldn't go to Google? Now, would you work at Google? No. Facebook? Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. Um, a lot of reasons for that, namely, uh, without talking, uh, without biting the hen that feeds me too much, I don't, <laughs> I don't agree with the directions that they're going, and I don't sure. agree with the value in that they play in society. They're not going away, but it's one of those things where, like, I could probably make a whole bunch of money if I went to work for Google. Yeah, I don't really want to. Uh, it's yeah. again, it's. it's Right. It's figuring out the role that both work and money play in your life. Um, right. It'd be amazing to buy a yacht and a beach house. I don't know if it would make me any happier. It would probably be the same. I would just have to pay a guy to take care of my yacht and my beach house all the time. Right. Um, but no, I would see myself working either um, in some sort of a, uh, some sort of a, again, still consulting space, but more of looking at business operations, um, where the problems, where the holes, because very often what we face in marketing is that we get you the leads or the sales and then you don't do anything with them or like the product breaks. So that's the part that I would like to get more exposure to at some point. It's probably a ways down the line, but do you want your boss's job? My direct boss, probably not, but the one above him, uh, I do founder or running the, no, 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 no. The, uh, the way that we're set up is we, um, we split out effectively brand media and performance media. So my, my direct boss is uh, head of what we would consider performance media. Um, so like search, Google shopping, some display stuff, conversion rate optimization. And then we have uh, social and programmatic display split out on a separate team. So my, I would like my boss's boss's job in the sense that I get to drive all media strategy. Got it. Um, I wouldn't hate his job, but <laughs> yeah, just curious. Cause <laughs> no, like, no, no, no. You think about advancing in an agency and it's like, how high do you want to go? If there's an opportunity there uh, for the experience, for the exposure, for the, like you're saying, you know, leverage all your years of experience to do more strategic thinking and planning. Um, again, just curious. Uh, last question here for this part is, is when you think about your, your from the DuPont co-op all the way to your position at Tenuity, uh, what was the most valuable resource you had along the way with your career path? Doesn't have to be physical, digital. Could be all of the above. But what, what would you count to be those, you know, kind of career-saving, career-worthy resources that helped you get to where you are? There are. I'm going to give two answers. Uh, one of which will not be very helpful for the audience. One of which hopefully will. Mm-hmm. Um, the not very helpful one is it's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but it's also an important one is having uh, 
mentors, whether they knew they were mentors or not. Uh, you were someone, and and Jason, who's the one who did pick me on his team. Uh, <laughs> both of you, whether you know it or not, uh, the way that the way that you operated, uh, either directly or sometimes indirectly, mentored me of of teaching teaching me how to be myself, but also in an executive role, and how to balance that, and how to be how to balance professionalism with fun. Because no one wants to sit in a miserable meeting for six hours, but at the right. same time, like there's work that has to get done there. So having, um, again, be they, be they mentors, and I don't want to use the word idols or heroes, as that's a, a bit of a dangerous word, but yep. people who you admire that you can take pieces of, of what they have built and apply it to yourself, um, you'll find it in different places. Sometimes it's among your friends. Uh, sometimes it's among coworkers, colleagues, someone who's accelerating really fast, uh, of course, it's dangerous to to what I call sports center yourself. That is, look at their highlights only and feel like you're less than because you're not as good as their best. Yeah. Of course, you're only seeing their best. Right. But uh, taking the parts of theirs, you're like, that's really interesting the way that he did, he did that and handled that situation. Like, I'm going to file save. And if that situation comes up in my life, all right, now I got something to pick from. Yep. So when I talked before about building a toolbox, a lot of time that comes from interactions and conversations and observations. Like it. So the more the the other um, the more helpful. Uh, this is a, gonna be a resource. Uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, way to call it a resource, but um, I really liked reading very old uh, business books. Uh, I'm talking like the uh, the Dale Carnegie stuff, um, even the um, oh, who's the circus guy? Uh, P.T. Barnum. Okay. Uh, yep hearing a lot of these guys, which, yeah, it's a different time, but what they were all really good at with far less technology is getting other people to understand that, or excuse me, getting, being able to translate their needs into their audience's needs. So they were all, uh, the, I believe it's, I hope it's PT Barnum. I didn't see it wrong, but there's the art of money getting, which, yeah, it's a book about how to sell snake oil. But at the same time, it gives you some idea on how to influence uh, influence people's decisions. It's on you to use it morally and responsibly. But when there's a decision that you know is good for someone or for a business or for a client, and they will resist it for whatever reason, they give you tools on how to sell them or convince them. Right. Um, I would also say uh, how to win friends and influence people. The original one, don't read the like for the modern era, for the web one. Like, no, go old school because there's an entire chapter in there about how a school principal gets a plumber to be excited about their job. And if you can figure that out, you're in good shape. But uh, I took a ton of lessons from there. And and a lot of it is about be it pitches with clients or picking what keywords or whatever. It's <laughs> un. Uh, opening up the TV only with people's brains uh, to figure out what motivates them. And then in turn, that gives you an idea on how to sell something that's meaningful for them. Well, I love that perspective because you're reading these books when you're early in your career. So you're forming what is potentially your management style or how you got to where you got to. So, you know, that's a, that's a, I think that's a great tip for everyone to consider that because you don't just wake up one day and say, Hey, I'm going to be a manager tomorrow and it's going to be okay. No, you start forming these philosophies and how you act and carry yourself way before you're even given the opportunity. As they say, you do the job of the role you want. So you were effectively becoming and acting like a manager 
as you were reading these books and doing your things as you were advancing your career. And why you say that I love the old school reference, because it's why I still read the 22 immutable laws of marketing. You know, I think it was published in 1993, but so applicable. I read it even last week when, you know, trying to brainstorm some ideas for a campaign. So, you know, it's, it's, these are the books that, that help to give you that anchor to keep you moving. Um, yeah, I, I actually have one more. I just looked over and I'm like, Oh, I forgot about that one. Um, uh, two, uh, there's a book called, uh, the art of influence, uh, psychology, yep. a really good one that, uh, is a, a bit forgotten by most people, even though it's not that old, I think it was like mid nineties. Um, and I'm also reading a book, uh, called actionable gamification. Uh, the, I'm not going to build a mobile game at some point. That's largely what it's based on. Right. But what's interesting in the the whole um, philosophy of this guy, uh, Yu Kai Cho, who's the quote-unquote foremost uh, guy on gamification, but his philosophy was like, look, he was a, a gamer, so he would play Warcraft for 20 hours a day and would happily do a mundane task to make his Warcraft better. But if he had to do something in his life that would take five minutes but felt mundane, he would hate it. So taking that mindset of like, okay, how do you make a mundane task exciting? How do you get people to want to do what they have to do, but don't want is really interesting to me as manipulative as it sounds. It's um, to my nature. How do you, how do you take something that you don't want to do, but have to and make it fun? Well, that sounds not, no, does that sound interesting? It sounds necessary for, you know, if you think about managing teams and, and yes, it's getting the teams to do the things that they hate doing timesheets. Et cetera, et cetera. So that's exactly why I bought it was to get people to participate <laughs> in meetings more. Like, how do I make you want to do this? So career pathing. So we, you know, you went from in-house to agency. That's where you are. Eventually you could be consulting. Uh, this, so this will be the wrapping up the section, the career path conversation with Aaron Levy. We'll take a quick break and then come back and learn more about a day in the life for a, uh, somebody in the paid search, biddable, googly space. Uh, we'll be right back. Hey guys, just a couple quick updates from the marketing help. We've actually uh, been working on this new free membership experience um, for you marketers. Now, all you need to do, to do is go to the marketinghelp.co forward slash subscribe. So when you get there, you set up your free account. And in the free account, we've curated just all the necessary tools, resources that we believe you need to get started. Uh, plus, we've introduced a new marketers community experience that allows you to further engage with others that are maybe in the same journey that you are. But you get access to tons of free resources, uh, a more vibrant, active community that you can start exploring ASAP. And with the free membership, um, you're going to be able to access some of these marketing career and job search guidebooks, interviewing templates. Uh, we just released a couple of helpful walkthrough videos where we walk you through what you need to be creating for your marketer's resume and your marketer's LinkedIn profile, because there's a difference. And we give you the tips that you need to embrace so that your profiles and your resume will stand out from all those other candidates that are interviewing for the same job that you are. So in addition to all that stuff, you get access to our Career Insights newsletter and you'll get immediate access and notification whenever we publish a future episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast. So again, all you need to do, go free membership, set it up today at themarketinghelp.co forward slash subscribe. Now let's get uh, back to the episode. All right, we're back here with Aaron Levy and we're going to keep on going here 
learning more about what is the day in the life of somebody in in Aaron's role, Aaron's specialty, and that is, again, it's it's I don't want to put a too broad of a of a brush against it as they say, but paid search, um, all things tied to biddable media, uh, a lot of things tied in the Google ecosystem. So mm-hmm. you know, walk us through in, at your level in your role. What is the, what are the things you're doing? From Monday to Friday, and I know it depends is a good answer to start, but you know, give us the the average across a given week. The hilarious irony of this is I'm realizing, and I didn't really think of this ahead of time, but um, everything that I said that I hated when I started my own agency in our previous discussion is what I do now. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, but you love it though. You love it, right? I do love it, and you and I've learned to love it. And again, it's it's the fact that I have resources to support me and a big team to do a lot of the stuff that uh, I wasn't necessarily the best at uh, over my career. But I'd say I'd say a day in the life is some sort of a balance between management and coaching, um, sales, and finance, uh, making sure that our team is staffed correctly, looking at the the projects that we have coming down the pipeline. Okay, we have two giant clients. When do we expect them to close? Okay, do we have staff that could take that on now? If no, okay, how long is it going to take us to hire staff? So when do we start? Yep. So effectively, a lot of a lot of financial and operational planning. Um, uh, another probably third of it, and this of course varies uh, week by week, month by month, but forward facing, uh, forward facing planning and strategizing. I like to say that my role on my team is I'm there to support them. I'm not to govern them. Uh, I like we, that. we hire very good people and let them go. Do what you want. I will give you a start point and a framework. And there will be some things to make sure that that our standards at Tenuity are held up and that you know what we sell gets done. But by the same token, my job is a good deal to look two or three years ahead so that our team can look two or three days ahead. So for example, as, as we mentioned, this, this match type change, I thought they were going to die. And I've been saying that for about two years. So while some members on my team, uh, although actually they're pretty well trained and I'm watching the Slack channel <laughs> chatter, um, everyone's like, oh, that's it. Um, a lot of my role is to, to get ahead of those things and to build those skills into our team members. So while they might not necessarily know the skills that I'm building them, building for them or why I'm building them, my job is to prep people for what we expect is coming. So if you go down, so I, I know and you covered it well in terms of the percent on the business you're doing, operational planning, you know, forecasting, and then versus in the business stuff, which is, it sounds like you said, sales. So you're still accountable for some level of business, new business generation or expanding book of business. Uh, what does that look like in terms of tactically? Like, what are you doing to drive more sales? How does that, how does it manifest itself into what goes on your calendar? Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say that the D word, um, <laughs> it ebbs and flows, uh, depending on what our, our inbound lead process looks like, or whether we have clients coming in or sometimes, okay. So for example, in the, in Q4 holiday time. December is always weird because it's a mix of people who are running out of budget and need to sign something right away, or um, they have no budget and they can't do anything until next year. So keeping an eye on those sorts of ebbs and flows. And if our lead funnel looks a little rough, okay, like let's let the sales team focus on cleaning that up. And instead I'm going to work with our marketing team to figure out what we can do to feed the top of the funnel a little bit more. Mm-hmm. 
So again, I'm not going to say the D word, but um, it's a lot of it's a lot of feel based on ebbs and flows on what again what two or three months ahead look like for our team, and and to the same token, we have to look at. at it's a reality that I hesitate to say, but churn, both from people and clients. Uh, at Tenuity, our churn is extremely low. We have very low turnover, which is a blessing and a curse. So in turn, while I can focus on the business thing and make sure that they grow, I also have to make sure that our people are growing and that they have opportunities to grow and that they won't be in a scenario where like, well, Jerry got promoted and I'm the same as Jerry. <laughs> I have to make sure that that the other guy... Uh, has opportunities to shine and grow as well. Got it. So I like how you you um, were, were talking about it in the beginning, you know, just kind of balancing all the things that you're doing. Um, biggest mistake you made in your position? Um, I know this is going to be a bit contradictory, um, <laughs> a bit contradictory to some of the advice that I gave before, but um, little kidding too much or asking too many details. Yeah. Um, meaning that at my level, I'm dealing with a lot more executives. A lot of people was seeing their title, uh, which in turn means that I have to be a lot more of a, a, a chameleon. And I don't, I don't mean that in the sense of changing myself or who I am. I'm still myself, right? but also being really able to read the room. Um, and I've had a number of cases where I've gone too far, uh, not a number of cases, but, but some cases where I've made the wrong person mad. Uh, and or picked the wrong fight or picked a fight that wasn't winnable. Mm-hmm. So I think the the biggest mistake that I've had in my role and and frankly in my career as a manager is biting off more than I could chew and being a bad judge of when something was worth the risk or not. Um, <laughs> and I guess those mistakes you know right away because sixteen people in your team told you that you made a mistake. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've been fortunate enough that that uh, I say this not in a cocky way, but the fact that a lot of people like me, so in turn, I don't I don't get yelled at a lot, but I certainly have gotten my hand slapped more than enough. And I think what the lesson that I learned from that is, I speaking to know it all. Uh, if you asked me five years ago, I would not have said that. I would have thought it was an asset. Uh, it is, but it isn't. It's it's learning to be really cautious with my language, learning to be really cautious with my bets and look at the upside. Yep. I say bets uh, as we talk about the clarity of work. Sure. I don't get, uh, is this decision right or wrong? I get a series of decisions and my mindset is be like, okay, like this one's like 65% likely to work. This one's like 45, but if this one goes wrong, it's more expensive. And if this one goes wrong, it's less expensive. So figuring out, the upside, the risk assessment. Um, I've definitely looked at the upside too much without considering the downside in the past, and I've learned to be a lot more malleable with that. That's uh, that's some good insight there in terms of uh, the learnings you had from those mistakes. But you know, before switching over to, I'd love to hear a day in a life for somebody on your team, right? So someone listening out there that says, you know, an agency is for me. I, I'm like Aaron. I like numbers. I like to, you know, uh, break things down and see how they work. Um, and a quick side here is the way you broke down what you did for those listening that maybe want to be in management or work on a team currently, listen to all the things that Aaron is doing. Forecasting. Do we have enough money to hire somebody? Here's why we can't give a raise. 
you know, keep in mind the perspective of what someone in Aaron's position is doing, because it's why you can't just say one day we should hire somebody just because we're busy or we need to hire somebody because we got a new client. doesn't work that way because guys like Aaron in his role, uh, that's what they're figuring out. It's a really good point you bring up. And I think if there's, if there's advice that I could give to y'all, and this applies to no matter what phase of your career is, is in, but anything that you ask of your manager, look at it like an investment. Um, everything it's, it's a little bit crude and rudimentary to say, but everything ties back to money, even if you're asking for time. So if you're looking for a project to work on or an initiative, or I think this would be really great, present it in a way that shows, shows your manager, your boss, what they get out of it. What good is it going to do? And, and how can that, you can make that tangible. Sometimes any tangible is a little fuzzy, like, oh, if we buy this piece of software that costs a thousand bucks, it's going to save us a thousand hours over the course of a year. So as a boss, I'm like, uh, okay, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. That's not very much money. But if you do like, it would make my job easier. That's going to make it harder for me to say yes. Right. And, and you make it easy there in that point that anybody listening that wants to get ahead, stand out, get promoted, that's all it takes. All it takes is, is approaching that ask in a way that is a business owner, knowing that, like you said, ties back to money. So let's go quickly in, in the day in the life of someone on your team. You know, you, you, or you look at their calendar on a Monday through Friday basis. What, what are they doing? What, what skills, what tasks, what projects are they doing? I don't know. <laughs> no. Um, although, honestly, half the time that is the answer because I, 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 you let them go, right? Of, we yeah, put a lot of trust them. in our yeah. people. Um, I'd say it's probably, I'll break it down into thirds again. I'd say it's about a third um, hands on keyboard, pulling levers, pushing buttons. Um, for the sake of clarity, I'm just going to assume this person is uh, somewhere between three and five years in their agency career. Um, they own clients a little bit, but don't wholly own communication. So I, I would say um, my perception of, of where a lot of the audience will be or would get to soon. Mm-hmm. So I'd say it's about a third, again, about a third hands on keyboard, pushing buttons, pulling levers, truly optimizing the accounts. Um, I would say another third or so is doing the the math part mixed with, um, mixed with strategy. And when I say that, I mean... Again, pointing back to myself, the numbers don't speak for themselves. Right. So uh, one of the bigger pitfalls that that people run into earlier in their agency career is they plop a giant presentation in front of a client and say, hey, read this. Look at how good it is. You need to give them a map. You need to tell them what's the most important. And that's why there's such a large proportion of analysis is it's it's like writing a book report in middle school, high school. I don't remember when you used to write book reports, but a teacher would always tell you like, don't give me the cliff's notes. Like, don't recount the story to me. Tell me what you learned from it and what you took from it, what I should do about it, which that analysis and translation of the data, since we have so much of it, uh, is, is a good chunk or should be a good chunk of people's time. Right. And then translating that into strategy. And I'd say the last third is, is, Third is maybe a bit aggressive, but it, it's working with the client, be it meetings, emails, or your team members to make sure that they are on board. Uh, they're on board with the actual work, um, and you know, of course, in being a semi-single channel, uh, being paid search, there's no clients who that's all their marketing is. 
There's no one who's like, we're a business built entirely on paid search. Right. So being uh, being a babblefish, uh, translating for them in a way that they can translate it up uh, and explain what you're doing because they know that they're not experts in all this stuff most of the time. Um, but taking all that work and analysis that we've done, translating it, giving it to clients in a way that they can understand, sell, and make themselves look good um, is is a good chunk of the job. And, and usually the people who are more successful at that part are more successful at the role in general. Right, right. What is there a sliver in that pie chart that is uh, professional development? Are you is your team pushing themselves to develop maybe not just the the paid search skill, but maybe learning a different skill? I would say, um, hope so. Well, now I'm now I'm bad at math, and I'm like, well, <laughs> I got to make a sliver somewhere. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of a cop out answer, and I would say that it needs to apply to everything at all times. Right. Um, Meaning when I say that, I mean that the people who succeed the most, similar to, to my comment about um, looking through tools instead of treating a tool as just a thing, it's the same way, um, especially when you're working in, in a single channel or a smaller set of channels like search, your responsibility is to be good at it, of course, but learn where it fits. And speaking all the way back to my career path, which I should have started this, but hey, maybe we can come full circle. <laughs> Uh, when I started my career working with Eric and Jason, I was multi-channel. I ran search, email, display, affiliate, uh, and a little bit of SEO, sort of. Right. By design, yep. Yep. Um, I won that contest. <laughs> uh, but um, understanding how what we were doing fit into all those other efforts allowed me to communicate them a lot better. So you would be remiss if you only got really good at search and put blinders on for everything else. So uh, time on professional development, learning new skills, uh, I would say a safe amount to carve out would probably be about 10 or 15%. But uh, I'm not suggesting that you take 10 or 15% of your time to exclusively go and read books. While that's amazing, it should be something that is the, the theory of learning should be fit into everything that you do. The theory of A-B testing, we do it for our marketing. We do it for our campaigns. We do it for our websites. Why wouldn't we do it for ourselves? Right. So as you're doing all these things and working with different clients or different campaigns, you have to iterate and learn. And in turn, the darling phrase of marketing agencies for a while was Kaizen, which is a, I'm glad it's gone because it's a too much of a buzzword, but the philosophy is, is constant improvement. And if you see something that's broken, you stop to fix it. There you go. All right. So great insight to the day in the life uh, in the paid search biddable media world paid stuff paid stuff world and uh you know breaking news here in this episode learning about the the shifts and changes going on at google have to look into that a little bit more um anything else we should know about uh your agency anything else you want us to know about what your agency is doing um yeah i mean we're we're growing a lot uh we have a um I'll have to check the careers page. I know that our recruiters are very busy. So those of you that, that are interested in careers, uh, your best bet is probably to, to connect with me on LinkedIn. I can point you to the right place or the right person or the right recruiter. Uh, Eric, I think you'll list that in the show notes. Yep. Um, but keep an eye on, on us. We're, uh, as I say, we went from 100 people to 700 people in about four years. And that's not going to stop. Um so we have a lot of exciting opportunities for, for people to work or grow or learn uh, reading the content that we put out. 
um, or obviously to work with us. Nice. It's been great to watch the growth uh, from Elite SEM to where you guys are now with the acquisition of all the different uh, skill sets and, and subject matter experts. So definitely a place to check out if you're looking for an agency to learn a ton. Um, and if you feel that you have the right uh, skills and interests to, to to make it, give it a go at an agency. So where's the best place for someone to contact you, Aaron, if they have a question, they want to chat further about what's going on? Honestly, I know this is a bit of a cop-out and unconventional, but probably LinkedIn. I'm not what one might call graded email, which is ironic given my role. Um, but um, no, I'm, I'm pretty responsive on LinkedIn. Uh, I will, of course, ask all y'all to bear with me. I don't check it every single day. But if you do want to reach out, that's a good place to be. Don't bother sending me in, in mail or spending the four bucks that you have to do. Just connect. Yeah, connect to LinkedIn, maybe throw a podcast in the note, and uh, then we know that you heard it here. Cool. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us, sharing words of wisdom. A lot of great tips here. Uh, looking forward to getting this, uh, looking forward to sharing this more with our audience. And um, we'll keep an eye on all things Dunity. Thanks for having me. All right. Big thanks to Aaron Levy for joining us in this conversation. A lot of great tips, pure gold, uh, from the value of mentors to the inspiration of those old school business books to the importance of just being curious in your day-to-day role. So remember, checking check out the show notes. You'll find ways to connect with Aaron and you'll find other links to some other great marketing career resources. Now, if you want to help other marketers discover this career resource, Listen, don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast player. Your feedback is very valuable to us. We'd love to see it, read it. Um, Again, leave your review if you can. Now, if you need help with any aspect of your marketing career, never hesitate to email us at connect at themarketinghelp.co. Just shoot us a note and uh, let us find ways to help you in your marketing career. Until the next episode, this is your host, Eric Harbison. And remember, today is a great day to start advancing your marketing career.